0: Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager podcast with me, Jenny Plant from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow those existing client relationships so your agency business can thrive. Welcome to episode 95. Now, this episode is particularly relevant for you if you're responsible for agency new business. I'm going to introduce Benjamin shortly, but I first want to say that I hope by the end of it, particularly if you've never received any professional sales training, it might just change your thinking about how you currently qualify prospects and sell your agency services. Benjamin invites us to challenge our beliefs around pitching and giving away our ideas for free which is unfortunately so typically entrenched in the marketing services industry. He also shares some great examples of how to approach things differently. And if you don't like swearing, this isn't the episode for you. This is a good one. Let's go over to the intro now. Okay, so if you are responsible for new business, sales and selling in your agency, you're in for a big treat today. I'm chatting to Benjamin Dennehy. I first met Benjamin around 2010 when I was working at Publicis, and we were both being mentored by sales trainer Marcus Kalki. Now, a few years later in 2013, I'd already left Publicis and was freelancing for an independent healthcare communications agency, and we were running a new business campaign. So we invited Benjamin in to do some cold calling for us which was massively successful. And since then, Benjamin has built a really successful reputation in the sales training business. He's worked across multiple industries and with sales teams in different countries all around the world. And he particularly has had a lot of experience working with marketing services agencies. He's known as the UK's most hated sales trainer, and you may have already seen him. I'm sure you have on LinkedIn, as he always wears his signature bright red cap and red braces and often goes viral with his straight talking content. Benjamin shakes up your thinking about your role in sales with humor, insight and psychology. Benjamin, finally, I get you on the podcast. A very warm welcome.
1: Thank you. I don't know how to follow that intro. That's that's a really real that's the nicest intro I've ever had. It's really wow, even I'm moved. Well, so, it's
0: very yeah. well deserved. Oh. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna faff around because I want to get into the good stuff because I've done lots of research. I've been following you for a long time and I've seen all the podcast interviews. So I want specifically to focus on your experience with marketing services agencies because obviously this is the audience, it's agency owners, it's account managers. So you've got a lot of experience working with marketing services agencies. What are your general observations about how agencies approach selling and sales?
1: I have to temper my language. (laughs) Um, The
0: experience
1: that I have had, and I understand why, is creative people, and these are creative people. Yeah, you go into advertising, marketing, PR, because you have a creative bent, and you want to create stories and create interesting things. But creative people, I suppose, out of the rest of the population, have, have probably have a preponderance to be more emotional and needy than the ordinary But I don't know, I'm not a scientist or therapist, but it's my assumption, because they are so driven by seeking approval. Because remember, you're always trying to get the client's approval. You're trying to impress and trying to wow them. So there's this inbuilt desire to constantly try to impress people. But of course, that's one of the worst ways to go about selling. And I remember I used to work with them and... Whether or not they still do it today, I don't know, because I don't work with a lot anymore, because it kind of annoyed me after a while, because they don't really want to change. And most people don't want to change, but it's really hard to change. And so because they've done it a way before and they've kind of had success, people just, well, why rock the boat? But what they would do is, and I'm sure they probably still do it today, is every time they meet someone, they'd have to take their little presentation along. It's probably on a tablet now. It'd be like 20 pages. And they always have to tell you the history of the agency, why they set it up, and the values and the ethos, yeah? And then they they list all the sort of services they provide and then have a series of creds examples of showing what they did for Unilever or Pepsi and this was a campaign, this was a brief, these were the results, You know, they'd vomit that all over the prospect for half an hour, right? And then you'd go through a little bit of questioning back and forth. And the meetings used to always end the same way. It was either, well, we don't have anything for you now, but you're definitely on our radar. Or they could leave with a brief. Now, obviously, the brief was the outcome, you know. But this is what amazed me, is a brief was an opportunity to give away your ideas for free, which never I never quite caught on to that, yeah? I found it crazy. And I remember you, I won't mention his name, but you know him. He was the CEO of an advertising agency specialized in travel industry. So you'll know the guys. And I remember I was talking to him once and about how meetings are run. And he just said, well, this is the way it is because I've been in this industry for 20 years and this is how you do it. And I remember saying, well, I think it's all wrong. But I said, but I don't know how to really sell better. but I know this is wrong. And that's what started all of this sort of journey into sales training and stuff. It was actually meeting advertising because I did business development for a lot, prospecting. But anyway, I've rambled on too much.
0: No, not at all. This is all brilliant stuff. I think you're right. There are so many entrenched ways of selling and we seem to be the only industry in the world who perpetuate this way of selling that we give away all our best ideas yeah. before we've actually made the sale. So from your perspective, you know, just having worked with, if you can cast your mind back to when you were doing all of that work with the marketing services agencies, you obviously were different though. You broke the mold. Talk to us about, you know, how you did it differently. Like what did you do differently? And what do you think, with all your years of selling you know where do we get it wrong why do we get it so wrong you've already mentioned a few things because it's the creative mindset it's the the neediness wanting to be liked um yeah. doing it like that because it's always been done like that yeah. like i'm sure there's lots of people leaning in at the moment thinking well how do other industries do it and what makes them successful
1: well the, the challenge that you have and it's across the board so it's not unique to the creative industry so I want to want I want to I, I don't want them to feel as if we're picking on them not they're especially worse they're not they're they're like it but let's think about it most people who went into advertising didn't want to be salespeople. they want to be creative people and that's again but that rule applies across sales 90 percent of people in sales never wanted to be there they just ended up there you know it's a, it was the default position in life it wasn't the design. And so I've always found that when people who don't really want to do something are doing it, they don't tend to be very good at it because why would you put in a lot of energy to do something you don't really deep down want to be doing? And so creative agencies are sort of similar. They love getting in front of people and talking about what they do, but the selling bit, they don't really like it. And so they have the habit of, as you say, giving away their stuff for free. I mean, I use agencies all the time in my examples. I say, if you get three agencies in front of you and each of them tries to tell you what they would do to help you fix your problem, you don't need any of them by the end of it. Because each of them leave out stuff that they don't want in the magic sauce sort of thing. But you don't know what the other agencies give them. Their magic sauce is something else. So this is why we get three or four or five of you in at any one time, because we're hoping, because as a prospect, my goal is, can I fix my problem without having to pay for it? If I can fix a problem without having to pay for it, I'll do it. So I get you all in, and I stroke you. I say, we love you guys, your campaign. We love what you did with ABC Company. You thought you go. So they stroke the house. They're getting. They're feeling good. and encourages them to give more and more. So what I started doing is, well, you should be charging for this sort of thing. And that was outrageous. You can't charge people. Why? Go to McDonald's, I would say. Go to McDonald's and say, look, i tell you what, I'll pay you after the burger if I like it. That's how you're to start off. A teenager with pimples and no authority has more control in the sales than an advertising executive talking to a brand manager. And I found that fascinating. What, what is going on here, right? And you realize that they're so beholden to the prospect. And they treat them like royalty. Oh, you've got to. And it's this constant. There's never a partnership, it's it doesn't seem. There's never a meeting of equals. It is we are there to serve. There's nothing wrong with serving, but you want parity, and getting that mindset was hard, and they'd be thrilled to get a brief. But you know, you get to work for free. Yeah, I know, but our foot's in the door. You know, you things like that. And it's like, but they haven't bought. Yeah, well, it's all about building relationships, Benjamin. And that's the other thing. They're big on relationships. Relationship, relationship, relationship. Yes, you need relationships, but with clients, a prospect, someone you've never sold to, you don't need a relationship with them. Can you think of the last salesperson you had a relationship with before you bought their product? No, I've never been wined and dined by anyone to buy their product. I've bought houses. I've bought cars. I've never once known anything about the salesman. Couldn't care less. Yeah, I bought in spite of them most of the time because most salespeople are rubbish. So there's this pathology that creative people in particular have this desire to be liked, to be loved, to be seen, to be appreciated. Prospects know this and they milk you for it. They know we get them and they're going to try and yeah? Great. So my job was to challenge it and say, don't do that. And it was hard work. But the ones that did it saw huge results, charging for briefs. I mean, I charge people to phone me now. So for someone to pick up the phone and say, Benjamin, can we work together? They've got to book a consult call and they've got to pay, what is it, 170 quid? And I get so many people say, that's outrageous. Why would you charge that? You're losing opportunity. No, all it does is filter out people that have no intention of actually getting sales training. Yeah, And if I do lose someone to someone else, I'll never know. So because I don't believe in losing something I never had, I don't care. This is it. I'm not holding on to anything of no value. So it's getting this mindset and this behavior into them. And it can be quite challenging.
0: I can imagine. And what do you think, how much did that mindset have to change for those that you worked with to get them to charge for the initial fee?
1: It was hard until they did it the first time. Hmm. And then the first time they did it, and what amazed them was the reaction that they would get. I remember one time, I had a CEO phone up. he charged five grand into a scoping document, a brief equivalent, and he'd never charged before. And I said, well, what was the biggest takeaway from the experience? He goes, well, oddly enough, he said it was the reaction of the prospect. I said, why? What was his reaction? He goes, goes, I was nervous when I said it's going to cost 5K for this. And I go, what was it? He goes, his reaction was he just looked at me and said, seems reasonable. Because the product they were selling was in excess of 150 plus thousand pounds. So to pay five grand up front to make sure that you're getting it right in the context of everything, well, it seems reasonable. I've worked with the advertising you, know, you go all the way to final pitch. And you know what it's like at final pitch, you always just lose out. You know, if you would had a pimple on the lead person in your team, you might have won because it's always, you were so close, Yeah. And then they they get sometimes, if they're lucky, they get that feedback on why they didn't win. And I remember one specifically. They were presenting to a car brand. They got all the way to final pitch. And they lost. And when they found out why they lost, the answer was, The other agency had previous forecourt experience. And I remember I said to the CEO, I go, can I ask you a question? I go, when you said to them right at the beginning of this process, we don't actually have any experience in forecourt selling of vehicles. Is that going to be a reason why we can't work together? I go, what did he say? He goes, I never asked. And I said, "Okay, can I ask why, though? And this is his honest answer. He said, I was hoping it wouldn't come up. And it's like, so you spent almost the equivalent of £25,000 putting together a pitch, hundreds of man hours, people creating great stuff, and you lost on something you could have figured out on day one and not done. But this hope, this this belief that we'll wow them with our creativity, we'll blow them away, and practical realities won't affect the decision. And it's getting them to think challenge there's more reasons for these people not to hire you you know that so many more than there are why they should so why do you not spend any time figuring out can't you work with us because if i get through that and we're still going we're that much closer but they don't they fear it and we can't know we can't tell them we don't have experience they won't hire us how do you know what if they did the opposite i've had this the opposite we don't want someone that's worked in the sector before because we want people coming in with an open mind Oh, so this is what's frustrating. The fear of hearing a no compels them to behave like idiots.
0: I think also, Benjamin, and this is one of the big sort of drivers when I started working with you and Marcus, it's like once you put on those glasses and see people professionally selling versus the alternative, which is, you know, you found yourself in sales and you're giving away the farm. It makes you so much more disappointed, and that was one of the drivers that really pushed me to leave the agency. But what you're talking about here is a thorough qualification process, right?
1: Thorough qualification. I mean, and I don't call it qualifying. I call it disqualifying. My job is to disqualify. I'm not here to qualify. You see, qualification is the mindset. So when I get in front of a prospect, and this is how an advertising agent would be, they need us. We don't need them. They're the ones that have got to shift Morrow bars or Mars bars or Kit Kat bars, right? They're the ones that have got hit certain sales time. So they have a problem. Now, we have the solution. The only thing they have is choice as to who they give their money to. But that still doesn't eradicate the fact that they have a problem. So when you start to perceive it as I'm not here to impress you, I know what we do works. We've worked with some of your competitors. We're worth hundreds of millions. We do campaigns. We're not here to impress you. We know it works. The question for us is, why should you be our client? Why should we give you our insight, our knowledge, our experience? Why should we do that? And if you can't convince us why we should help you, then why would we? And it's a mind change. And you're not going and saying this, right? Obviously, i am got to point that out to anyone listening to this. You're not in there yelling this at them. But this is your mindset. So I'm never there to figure out why someone. I'm there to figure out, well, why should I work with you? Can you convince me why this is right? You approached us to. Why did you approach us? Yeah. Oh, well, we're here to make up numbers. Then fine, we're out. Yeah. Or or you can figure out you've got no chance of winning it, but hope. And so, what they do is I call it they love to show up, throw up, and hope. That's how most people do it. Cross the fingers, (laughs) thrown up enough. Let's show up and let's just hope we did enough.
0: It's so, so true. I mean, First of all, going in disqualifying is, I think, is going to be a new concept for people yep. listening to this. Also, I suppose in the background, as independent agency owners, sometimes it's a matter of cash flow. Like, there's nothing in the pipeline. We need this yeah. more. So, going in with that desperation mindset doesn't help. No. However, having said that, once you get a client that's you know not quite the right fit, then it's going to provide lots of misery moving forward. Not to mention the fact that, you know, you've got one in four chance of winning it if it's a pitch scenario and you don't know why you're being invited if you don't ask the question. So you're going to waste all your team's time investing into a pitch, which is a huge, not only problem for the team, but also on your current clients. So so many reasons to do this differently. So what else can you share with us specifically as it relates to agencies, kind of anything that you can share for agencies around approaching this differently with this more sort of professional mindset when it comes to sales?
1: Well, one of the challenges, and you've tapped on it, a lot of agencies, because you always think of the big ones, they always do fine. That's like, I don't know what the phrase is, but they're at such a point where they're big enough, stuff is always just going to be drawn to them and stick to them. And because they've got all the processes and procedures and everything in place, they can still make good money, even though theoretically, if you look at what they're doing, you know, you're spending a lot of money doing stuff you don't have to do, but because of your size and everything, you're able to swallow that up and it's still profitable. Most agencies aren't like that, though. They're a lot smaller, driven by very passionate, dedicated people who love what they do. They just don't like selling it. And so selling is almost, it's dirty. Yeah, but it's got to be done. It's one of those things. And the reason why most agencies struggle is they're never prospecting enough. It always comes down to prospecting. Because if you don't have enough in your pipeline, then you do become desperate. Then you start to do whatever it takes to get them over the line. And prospects know this. People seem to think prospects are stupid. They're not stupid. They're very smart. They know. I remember this is another advertising agency. So I remember this one. They, I remember he said to me, He goes, We've recently just won Barclays. I said, Well, that's good. I okay, go, So how, much, how big's the contract worth? He goes, Worth a uh, hundred thousand pounds. I said, That's okay. He goes, Well, originally we went in at 110. I go, Okay, so what do you mean it's a hundred? He goes, Well, basically their budget was capped at a hundred. They wanted us, but they couldn't get to 110. I said, Sorry, I must have misunderstood you. I thought you said Barclays. <laughs> he goes, yes. I said, as in like the bank. He goes, yeah, I said, so you're telling me a global international bank that deals in billions of dollars every year couldn't find 10 grand. He goes, well, but but we also get to tell people, of course, you. but before you came in, Barclays said these guys will just be so fucking grateful to be able to stick Barclays up on their website. We can squeeze them. Yeah, so prospects get it. They know their value and their worth and they reduce you to a jabbering fool, and then you do stuff. And if you're not making money on this, who gives a toss if you're fulfilling your dream? Being broke but living your dream is not really that helpful. So I've seen so many agencies go under because they don't get – and no, they, they wait till get paid at the end. They don't demand money up front. I don't do anything without getting paid up front. It's fascinating. Virtually everything you buy in life you have to pay for up front. Get on a plane. You've paid for it. Yeah, there's a few exceptions. Restaurants are one of the only places where you pay after. Go to the cinema tonight and say to the girl on the counter, I'll pay you if I like the movie on the way out. They'll tell you where to go, right? But yet it seems as soon as you're selling really expensive, sophisticated bits of whatever, suddenly the prospect has all the power. And you're reduced to nothing. Yet a teenager at McDonald's has more control over you buying a Big Mac than an advertising exec has over selling in a creative service. And it's up here. It's got nothing to do with this is the way it is, this is how it's out. it's you are too weak to say, I know our worth, I know our value. We're worth 110. Yeah. If I can't get you to see that, then I failed and I shouldn't be here. And I don't deserve to work with you. But I'm certainly not going to give you a discount, especially a global bank.
0: They probably came in at the last minute as well, didn't they? Said, look, you've you've got it, but you're just going to have to reduce it by 10, something like that. The usual trick.
1: And it hurts because that's all the profit. You can't discount Mm. the cost. So every time you give it away, you're giving away your own money. You shouldn't be doing that when you're out selling. That's completely different when you're taking orders. And I always stress that taking orders is different from selling. But when you're selling, you shouldn't be discounting because you failed to communicate the value. And that's the skill. is getting the prospect to realize why you're worth 110. And money is never the reason why people don't generally buy. I'm not saying always, but most of the time it's not the real reason. It's usually a lack of belief in what you're doing. Or they want what you have, they just don't want to pay for it. And so they know you'll drop your pants because you're desperate.
0: Can you share with us some kind of tips for this? Because you've said so many things like, you know they're not filling their pipeline enough by not prospecting enough so there's not enough option out there and then how to sell yourself you know selling the value rather than you know anything else rather than showing the prospect pictures of your ugly children you know so put away the presentation and sell professionally put away the
1: presentation. but yeah. what you how do take you take nothing with you on the first meeting
0: yeah? And have a conversation. And right? have
1: a conversation. And you you go into this because my background's law, so I view sales a lot like law, and I realise they're very similar. And everybody's lying, right? So everybody's not telling the truth. They're all deceiving, and I say lie, I mean deceive. And most prospects deceive, and they deceive by omission, by exaggeration, by embellishment, by not mentioning things that they don't think you need to know or holding things back. And we do this to protect ourselves from previously bad experiences. So I, I get that. So what you need to be doing when you're out selling, here's a little tip to cut through all the bullshit. I constantly, every time I have a sales meeting with an MD or a CEO, I tell them the reasons why we're not going to work together. Shall I tell you why we're not going to work together, even if you want to? Now, no one ever says, nah, fuck off. They all say, okay, well, what are those reasons? Then I give them the biggest reasons I'm typically used to hearing as to why people won't use me. And, you know, it's amazing how everyone starts arguing with me I'm wrong because you're being up front. I'm getting it out. I'm lancing the ball. So if I was that agency, I would have said, look, I'll be up front with you. We've never worked on a car forecourt experience. Is that a reason you can't work with us even if you want to, even if you genuinely believe that the campaign we will create for you will achieve your figures? Is that going to be a problem? Yeah, and you'll be amazed. Some people will tell the truth and they say, oh, actually, that could be a problem. You're yeah, okay. So is there a way around it or shall I leave? Now, the moment you threaten to leave, something happens to, probably well, hold on, hold on. I, 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 so, so this constant, you're, you you got to exude and get across the, we'd love your business, but we don't need it. And that is the mindset of a salesman. And I ask every one of my clients, if you were a millionaire who only did what they did for the sheer joy, Would you put up with half the crap your prospects put you through? And everyone says no. So the only reason you're doing it is because you're attached to the money. If you let go of the money, we don't need your money. We like it, but we don't need it. And then you can start acting like someone that doesn't need it and someone who deserves it.
0: See, this is why you are so popular. And this is why I love what you do is because you use the psychology of being a human being. Yes. You know, we're all human beings. We're all buyers and we're all selling, selling something, even if it's our ideas or ourselves. And I think what I find is people don't understand it you know so everything you do is kind of underpinned by this psychology of human to human interaction so can you talk a bit more about that like you know for you over the last 15 years when you came to realize how powerful it was to understand some real basic principles and how you could leverage them can you share some of the learnings for you and what you've seen in practice when it comes to really understanding the psychology
1: so what i learned pretty early on is you can't convince anyone of anything a lot of people think selling is the gift of the gab and it's the gift of being able to get people to see your point of view what i discovered is what it is and it's the word discover i can't convince anyone of it but i can get them to discover they need what i have so my job is when i'm in front of prospects is to get them to discover they need what i have not tell them Is see if you tell a human being something you know, you should be doing this. Their instant reaction is to reject it because it's not my idea. Yeah? So you phone someone up and you know their website shit. They know their website shit. But you phone them up and say, you know your website shit? What's their reaction? No. Defensive. Yeah, yes. instantly. Yeah, but even though it's true and they agree with it, you can't phone me up and tell me that. And that's what salespeople do. Oh, well, you've you, you got a good brand, but you really should be doing this. People don't like that. Salespeople try to be the smartest person in the room. They think the smartest person in the room is going to win the business. And I say, unless it was you at school, did anyone like the smartest kid in class? it's like, well, no, no, because he was a knob. No one liked the kid that was sucking up. If for some reason you get in front of a prospect and you feel that you need to be smart. And one of the things I have to teach people to do is actually, no, you need to dumb yourself down because people don't open up to smarty pants. People don't tell the truth to someone they feel is a threat, but they will open up to someone that they don't feel threatened by because it can't hurt me. And so it's teaching them. I, mean, I look a certain way, deliberately. I deliberately make myself look like an idiot because I walk into rooms, I've met CEOs and they give you this look if they've never seen my stuff of almost contempt. But when I see that look, it's like, one. you see, because what they're doing is they're judging me and they're thinking. And then I go in and I, I never take a pen to a meeting. I always forget a pen and they always loan me one. Yeah, I've never been thrown out of an office for not taking a pen. But I want to look unprofessional, not a complete idiot. But I don't want to be suited and booted with my nice little leather bounder in my pen and just happy sitting straight. No, I want to give them the impression of someone that isn't a threat and he dumbs himself down. And because I dumb myself down, I can ask a lot better questions. I'm able to struggle more and I struggle deliberately. They'll say something and they say, I don't know what you mean. When you say your, your payment terms are 60 days, what does that mean? I know what it means. I get them to say, well, what it means is, Benjamin, we invoice you, we'll pay in 60 days. And I oh, oh, now, I go, oh, well, that's going to be a problem. And they go, well, I go, well, because my payment terms are 100% up front. go, say, how do we get around it? Now, it's their problem. It's not mine. I flipped it back to them. They've tried to make it mine. I've just said, it's now your problem. How do we get around it? And they go, well, that's our payment terms. Like okay, well, um, could you see any way around it? No, I guess then we can't work together. Hold, hold, hold on, are you going to seriously? Well, yeah, and you got to have the courage to do that. But salesmen were too scared. Yeah, they're like farmers moaning that Tesco doesn't pay enough for milk. Stop selling the milk. Do you know how quickly the price of milk would go up if farmers just said that? Nah, we're all just not going to do it. Because the only reason most people go into the supermarket is milk and bread, right? That's why you're there. You take away the two staples, footfall drops, the price of milk will go up. It's so simple, but we're scared of losing something we don't even have. And that's the beautiful thing with prospects. They know this. I don't have to have any money. I can just promise you that I do. And you'll do all this stuff. And then I get to there and say, you know what? I can't afford it. But thank you. Yeah, so it's getting people to realize you're not there to impress them. Yes, they have to buy into you, but I'm not there seeking their approval. I don't need their approval. What I need is for them to trust that I can help fix their problem. The only way they're going to trust I can fix their problem is if they let me ask them the tough, uncomfortable questions that they don't want to answer and that no one else is asking, because I build trust through questions. Credibility comes from questions, not answers. A lot of people don't know that. They think answers create credibility. No. Getting a CEO or an MD or a brand manager to think about their problem slightly differently than all the other people that were in, suddenly makes you look like the smartest person in the room, but you've never had to say it. So why don't I know the answer to that question? I go, well, when the other agencies asked you that question, how did you answer? Well, they didn't ask. So what do you mean they didn't ask? Uh, no, it just never came up. Is it, sorry, my fault. Is this a stupid question? No, I think it's a very good question. So why do the other guys not ask you? Now he's thinking, those no, bastards. Why do they not? And now you're, this is how we create credibility and trust. But this is, this is over, you know, a 45 an hour long minute. It's not done instantaneously. But if I can get them thinking differently, if I can get them going, that's a good question, I don't know the answer. Well, why don't you know the answer? No, you're right. I should do. Yeah, I know. So why don't you? Uh, and, then they, and then they start to realise, well, you must know because you're asking the quick. So this is how we create trust and credibility is by getting them to realise, I know more than you, but I don't actually have to tell you I do. I just get you to figure it out through my questions. This guy knows what he's talking about.
0: I'm so glad you said that. It's so powerful. It's mm. so, so powerful. You're talking about, I mean, I remember a character on TV, a lot of people in the agency space won't because I'm a dinosaur, but Columbo embodied that Yes absolute vulnerability of a human. He dumbed himself down, and what happened? He always exposed the criminal. Because he, he? made
1: the killer feel comfortable that he wasn't a threat. Exactly. He thought, this guy can't solve the crime. He doesn't have a pen. That's where I got the pen idea from. I used to watch Columbo, and that guy's always looking for a pen, right? And it's like, that's pretty cool. He dressed down. I remember that, you know, people thought he was a janitor or they'd accuse him of being someone in the member of the public that somehow got past because he never looked like he belonged. And this put the killer at ease because they thought, this guy's an idiot, he's never going to get there. But he knew where he was going and he slowly trapped them with questions only. He just said, how did the key... Get on the key ring if the spare was it. And then they start offering the alternative. He goes, no, can't it, no, can't it. And then eventually slowly trap them. Yes, it's important that people realize that. Being smart doesn't help you sell. It helps you ask better questions, but it doesn't help you by being smart in
0: the room. I love what you've said, like discover, help them discover through your tough questions. Why do you must, I know how many training courses you've done. When people come in, what do you think is the biggest barrier? Is it the ego? You must see a transition or a transformation when they get it because typically sales, you know, they say, here are the features, here are the benefits, go out and sell. So they're there, they're spewing out what their product does and what the benefits are. But Absolutely, as you said, this is a completely different way of looking at at sales. So talk to me about some of the transformations you've seen when people finally sort of get it.
1: Well, so the reason why this happens is it is again, it's why I got the hat. Well, obviously Trump came along and I I nicked the idea from Trump because, that's brilliant. But there's another reason. It's an allegory because if I take it off, you've got 100% buyer. You see, you spend more of your life spending money I'm a bar. I was raised to be a bar because we're all taught how to buy. We watch mum and dad buy and we watch them and they behave a certain way and they behave the way all prospects do. They told half-truths. They made stuff up. They said they'd need to think it over. So I always tell the story. Do you remember when you were a kid? You're on the high street with your mum and your dad, and you're in Curry's, say, and they're looking at a new DVD player. And your dad's in there. He's asking the salesman all these questions. Does it do this? Can it do that? Can I record? Can I da-da-da? All the features. And the salesman's going, yep, yep, you can do that. Yeah. And he's making it sound really good. And then it's coming to the end of that bit of the question and answer phase. And then the salesman, trying to go in for the kill, goes, well, shall I, you know, shall I wrap this for you and put it in a box and send it out? And then that's when your dad would look at it and go, well, look, I need to discuss this with my wife, but I will be back. So you walked out of the store and you looked up at your dad with those big cow eyes. You said, Dad, are we going to get it? And he said, "That's nah, too expensive. Yeah. And you said, but you said we'd be back. Oh, you just say that to a salesman. Or you're sitting at home one night, 6 o'clock in the evening, everybody's there, mum, dad, your brothers, your sisters, the phone rings. And dad goes, hello? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Nah, she's not in. Click. Yo, who was that, Dad? He goes, sales call. So you're taught your whole life that it is okay to mislead, deceive, and be dishonest throughout the process. So then you get a job in sales. You stick a little hat on. It says salesman. But underneath is a buyer. So this buyer is meeting other buyers. This prospect's meeting other buyers. And then when the prospect starts doing this to you, deep down, you empathize with it because, well, it's exactly how I'd behave. I'd want to think it over. (laughs) We are very expensive. I was taught to get at least three options before making a decision. I completely understand Mr. Prospect. I get it. So they're not salespeople. you got two buyers basically talking to each other. And this is what people don't realize. And this is why I use law all the time. Barristers dress up in a wig and gown for a reason. It's to separate the human being from the representative, from the advocate, So once you stick on that wigging gown, Benjamin Dennehy, who thinks my client's a piece of shit and deserves to rot in prison for a very, very long time, suddenly stands up and says, this is one of the most honorable men with a history of blah, blah. He puts his case forward. He detaches himself from the outcome. If this guy walks, whilst I've done my job and I might not like the outcome, that's not my fault. The system let him go. My job is to simply argue the case. Whatever happens, happens and I do it without any emotional attachment to that, I don't care if he goes to prison. I don't care if he walks free. That's the job of the jury and the courts. I do my bit. And so it's the same thing in selling. I put on this uniform and I go in and I'm not a buyer anymore. My empathies as a buyer cannot apply. When someone says I need to think it over, I say, well, why don't you just say no? Because that's what it means 99% of the time. Just say, Benjamin, I don't believe you can help me and I'll leave. Don't want to do that. Because if I go back to the office with a think it over, I've now got hope. 65% in the pipeline. Whew, don't have to do any more prospecting. I'll just sit and wait for this one to come in. But it's all smoke and mirrors. So I, I, every meeting I go on, I leave with a yes, we're in, or a no, we're out. I won't take anything else. And I tell them, you can't give me a think it over. Just say no if you want to think it over. Do you know how hard it is to get someone to say no when you tell them, you've got to give me one? It's really hard, but you'll get them. But I don't care because I'd rather have a no than to think it over. And then, but the reason salespeople hold on to this is because once, maybe in every 10 or every 15 people that say I need to think it, one comes back. So they hold on to that one experience to justify 90% of their time being wasted. But it came in. I remember one time we said I need to think it over. We got it. And it was one of them. So you're building your whole model on the exception. And this is what makes it crazy. And it's getting people. To, when they see it, they see it. But I teach what I call the sales matrix. And I go, we're in a matrix. And you don't see it. Until you see it, you just think this is the way it is. Like everyone I work with now, no, this is the way it is. And then you show them what's happening. And they go, oh, my gosh. That happens. That happens. I go, do, you, do you want to know how to stop doing it? Yeah. But stopping doing it is extremely uncomfortable. You're going to have to come out of the matrix. And you know what happened? Some people in the film, the matrix, they couldn't handle it. Yeah, and they wanted to go back in because that's where it's comfortable and safe. And my job is, no, once you're out, you're out. But you'll see the world completely differently and suddenly selling becomes a lot easier. There's no pressure on me now. There's no stress in my life when it's selling. It's because I know what's going on. I'm not in the matrix. I'm watching them try and do it, but I'm standing here. It doesn't work on me anymore. And when clients get that, the change in happiness the number of CEOs that have said, I hear my guys, Benjamin, and they're just so much more happy. They're, they've got a spring in their step. They are so pleased when they qualify out. It used to be shit scared, but we are getting rid of so much stuff that we would have pursued fruitlessly because we've had the courage to challenge. We plant our feet. We're getting full fees. We're making more money by doing less. And all of that is a result of people having to really change. It's not hard to show up, throw up, and hope. And you do enough of it, someone will give you money not hard to get money. You can mug an old lady, you can rob a bank. Yeah, getting money isn't hard. Selling is.
0: I love it. And I felt the same way. I know you did as well, this revelation, because, you know, the problem that someone brings you isn't the true problem. So mm-hmm. what you said about, you know, uncovering it by asking questions, you're not telling them the answer. And I think this is probably where so many people go wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you hear from people that, you know, we're not doing well because of the market conditions or, you know, Brexit or the war in Ukraine and all of these external factors. What are your thoughts?
1: I would say most are nonsense. There are a few, like take COVID, for instance. There are certain industries that were particularly hit by COVID and there's literally nothing you could do. So hospitality, restaurants, the odds of you being able to sell really well in that period, get it? there was an external extraneous factor that overwhelmed everything. But despite that, the rest of the world was still working. The rest of the world was still... Tr- there were still $12 trillion or whatever it is going around the UK economy during COVID as it probably is now. Yeah, what was happening? People were working from home. That was the only difference. That was slightly harder to get a hold of maybe. But decisions weren't not not being taken or made. And in fact, I spoke to so many managing directors who said COVID had been one of the best things that ever happened to them, not because necessarily they're selling more, but they were able to get rid of salespeople that they realized were never really doing anything because when COVID hit, the money kept coming in and I had less salespeople. And so they realized they had order takers and a lot of salespeople are order takers. Yeah. Like no one sells Mercedes. No one sells houses. These things sell themselves. The salespeople just screw it up. Yeah. Yeah. So they realise this during tough times. But in tough times, salespeople are still out there selling. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. So, yeah, it's getting people to see that, that these excuses aren't real, unless maybe you've got a, your only clients in the Ukraine and you're saying, yes, there will be extraneous circus, But no, most of us will be fine.
0: I really hope that some agency, new business people, some agency owners take note of what you're saying, and I hope they end up working with you because – It's so liberating, like you say, when the penny drops with this stuff and you realize that there is a different way of doing it. It's not because we've always done it like this. It's the right way of doing it. I think people get that like deep down, but they don't know what the alternative way is. So I think you really provide them with a pathway. And I love the sound of the sales matrix. I also, I want to talk about, cold calling as well, because Mm. if you look on your YouTube channel, you've got, you know, some people say, oh, cold calling's dead. But when you look at your YouTube channel, you just lay it bare. You do live demonstrations Mm. so that people can see that it does work, which is remarkable. And in fact, the audience will appreciate this. Stephen Bartlett, who's obviously very well known in the media industry, quoted, didn't he, on social media, he said, I can't believe I've just received this cold call. It was genius. And I've just had a conversation with a cold caller. And that was your stuff. It is.
1: It's been quite fast. So that video is coming up to nearly 200,000 views. It'll probably hit it in the next few weeks. And I posted that video in 2019, I think it was, 2019. And it had a ripple effect because so many people now are imitating it. I phoned people while doing live cold call calling and I opened, I go, is that Benjamin? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> it's, it's got that, you bigger. I've had people email me from all over the world. I had some MD in Australia of all places, sent me an email. I said, I just want you to know, I just had a phone call from a young sales lad. He did your line. And when he did it, I just said to him, I know the guy in the red hat too. So it's had such a huge impact because it's so simple and easy to do and effective. And it's so good. So that the patent dropped a break in the ice with this is a cold call. Do you want to hang up or let me have 30 seconds? I mean, I, I don't think I've invented it. It's been around for a long time, but nobody ever demonstrated it working so well. And so that's all I've done. And I've got good at it. And just like anything, you get good at the fundamental basics and the rest falls into place. Then with prospecting, prospecting is very effective when done well. It's very bad when done badly. And that's why you have that. It's not even a debate is cold calling dead. It's not dead. It's just poorly done by a lot of people. I will have one caveat, though. I do genuinely believe that AI will eventually eliminate cold calling. I do believe that because all I do is follow an algorithm. I follow the same structure. My weakness is is I'm still human. So I still have feelings. And no matter how much I try to detach myself, I can't because I'm not a robot. AI with no feelings, no emotion, we'll be able to just replicate this over and get better and better and no feeling. And when it gets more and more sophisticated, it'll soon be hard to tell what's real and what's not. So I genuinely think that's a threat, but like closing coal mines, I don't think many people are going to be upset that they don't have to prospect. There'll just be a lot less people in sales though, because you've got to sell then, And that's the hardest bit. Prospecting is actually the easiest bit of the whole game.
0: Well, that's a really good point, Ashley. So you're thinking in the future when we're used to talking to AI, you mean Mm -hmm. it's because you're right. If it's the same kind of thing, then the human element is getting in the way of the process really, isn't it? It is. Of what's already working. Yeah. And what else? I'm just curious now, like what other predictions do you have? Like you've brought up the subject of AI. Obviously it's on everybody's mind at the moment, how it's eventually going to pan out and change things any thoughts Kill us all
1: but yeah it's I, I, don't, I don't you know when i was growing up a lot of the movies in the 80s were set in the future and the future looked really grim yeah mm. and you thought nah but actually the more you look at the world of the way i i my future the outfit is it's grimmer it's not better actually which is a shame because i think we live in such a, a society such a fear now you know, children having anxiety over climate change. I mean, come on, they're kids. They shouldn't even be thinking about these sorts of So I think the world is going to be a bit scarier. I actually do, because humanity's progressed technologically, but as a species, we're still greedy, selfish, uh, all of the things that make us terrible, and technology's just helped us get better at doing horrible things to each other. So yeah, but that's by the by. But yeah, it changes. AI definitely with cold calling. You're still going to need real human beings going out to sell face-to-face, I don't think, until we get these amazing androids, right? If if you've ever watched, what is it, Black Mirror, you know, stuff like that, yeah? So maybe if we ever get to that point, but then I don't think I'd want to be a human in that world because then it's gone. But So there is that. But I think AI is probably going to be the biggest impact on prospecting. But on sales, you're still going to need people to go out face-to-face and do it. But yeah.
0: I agree. I think where did I hear this? But we've had hundreds and millions of years of evolutionary hardwiring. It's not going to change overnight. So how we react to things and why your selling works is because it's grounded in psychology. It's grounded in how human beings behave. And all the time we are selling to each other, it's going to work. But at the moment where AI gets involved and robots are selling to robots, it's going to be a different story. So. For agency owners listening, Benjamin, who are pitching and losing, or they're finding that they're not closing deals or being ghosted after sales meetings, can you share any sort of thoughts for them to approach things differently?
1: The simple answer is it's all your fault, Uh, And this is why people hate me because my job (laughs) is what you want to hear. It's your fault. If if, what the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome, and yet salespeople behave the same way they get ghosted, they get ripped off, they have their ideas, but they go back and they keep doing more of the same thing. So you have to look in the mirror. I say, you got to look in the ugly mirror and look at the problem. Yeah, if you're getting ghosted, that's your fault. Did you tell the prospect they had to get back in touch? And if they didn't, what would happen if they didn't? And they go, well, no. I go, well, why not? I do it. If someone says to me, I need to think it over. I go, I'll tell you what, let's just say it's a no for now. And they go, no, 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 it's not a no. I go, well, let's just say it's a no. And you can always call me back next week and tell me I'm in. Now, if I drop my phone and it breaks because you've done that, I'll call you back. Because the odds are you won't. Do you know how many people will argue with you blind? They'll call you back, but don't. Because in the moment, they do believe it. I I don't disagree with that. I think in the moment, they're being honest. But the moment they hang up and they get on with the rest of their life, there is no obligation to keep your word to a salesperson. So you move on and you don't batter an eyelid, right? And then you start chasing them and then they start to hide from you because they don't want to do the no thing. And it's like, you know, it would be so much easier if we just said no to each other at that meeting. I don't want to do that. So my job is to get prospects. I tell them. So there's a rule. You can't blame someone for doing something if you didn't tell them they couldn't. So when you get ghosted, well, did you tell them they can't ghost you? Well, no. So why are you complaining? Well, it's not fair. Ooh, it's not fair. That's life. So take control. It's all about control. I have the solution. They have the problem. The only thing they have is money. But if I don't care about their money, If I don't need their money, then their money has no power, which means I'm now in total control. But that is a hard mindset to grasp, and it's even harder to act that way. That's why what I teach is so challenging. It's very easy. Not a lot to what I teach. I'm up front with it. Not a hell of a lot to this at all. It's just getting good at some very fundamental techniques. But most of all, it's in your head. They need me. I don't need them. They're the one with the problem. We're the one with the solution. They have money, but we don't need it. And if you start behaving in that manner, it's amazing how the results change. But it's incredibly uncomfortable because they'll say to you something like, well, your competitor did it for free. Like, okay, so when you use them, how did you find Oh, we haven't bought from them, but why not? Why would you buy from them if they're willing to do it for free? Oh, well, we just want to see what else is out there. Okay, well, what were you hoping we were going to say that was different? I'd go with them if they're willing to do all that stuff for free. So you don't want to work with us. I'm not saying I don't want to, but we can't match that. And unless you can convince me you think we're better, you may as well go with them. Yeah, but they couldn't, and it's funny how they start, the moment you start to say, Look, I don't care, I'm willing to leave, doing it very politely, of course, they suddenly realise I have no power. My money's useless. Money is only any good if somebody wants it. And I always use the example, if this, was, this pen was the cure for a horrible disease, and Bill Gates, or Elon Musk, world's richest man, said, other than hiring someone to kill me to take it, which they could do, but... Keeping it strictly ethical. If they say, Benjamin, I need it. I'll give you 100 million. Uh, now nah, I think you're a dick. 200, no, not interested. A billion. No, I don't like you. I think you're a knob. I hope you die. Two billion. No. Money has no power. It's only in the mind of the person that wants it. And the moment you let go of money, it starts to come to you. It's quite funny. The irony. It's like prospecting. The moment I got really good at prospecting, I didn't have to do it.
0: Wow. I think this is so powerful. Can you share any really difficult questions that agency owners should be asking, but they're not when they are in these qualifying situations?
1: I have a few questions that I love to use. One of my favourite ones is near the beginning of the meeting. And I remember the first time I asked this because I make up questions all the time because I'm always trying to think of ways of getting better. And uh, I was in the back of a taxi, an Uber, actually. I was on my way to a meeting uh, with the CEO of a, a training company, not sales training, but some other type of training. And I was rereading the email that his assistant had sent me. And it was nothing specific, but it was the way it was written. I just got the feeling that maybe they'd already decided they wanted to work with me. But I didn't say that, I, and I didn't know. And I'm sitting in this cab. I'd, had the, I'd, I'd planned out what I was going to do. But this one thought changed my whole approach. I'm sitting in the back of this cab, and I'm thinking to myself, well, what do I do? And then I said, okay, Benjamin, if you were your client, what would you tell you to do? That's a good question. Always ask yourself questions because the brain's hardwired to answer. So ask yourself questions. And so then my brain came up with the answer. And I thought, well, I've got to try this one never done it before. So get into this meeting, get in front of the CEO and we have a bit of a chit chat, you know, a little bonding session. How's your trip? And he goes, okay, Benjamin, well, it's really good to meet you. I I feel like I know you because I've bought some of your stuff. And he goes, I said, no, that's all. I go, hey, look, before we start, I said, can I ask you a really, really weird question? Now, because I know I'm going to ask a question that I've never asked before and B, I have no idea how it's going to land, I have to build it up. What I teach people, selling is theatre. You can't be you. Yeah, because if you be you, you're going to take a lot of hits to get the shit kicked out of you. You're going to be miserable and depressed. So I have a character that does these things. So the character can take all the beatings that it likes. I don't care, right? So I've got to build it up. It's theater. I go, so can I ask you a really, really weird question? He goes, yes, of course. I go, are you sure? I think because there's a good chance you may throw me out. He goes, "No, no, no, no. Now they're begging you to tell them. So I can pretty much say anything I like. Like, this is my question. Have you already decided you want to work with me and the purpose of this meeting is to figure out what it would look like? Or do I need to convince you that I am someone you should work with? And he looked at me and you know you're winning because he goes, that's a very good question. See, now I'm winning. I'm creating credibility already. He goes, that's a, that's a very good question. Now, being a typical high D dominant person used to being in control, he came back with what? Is a typical response of somebody of that ilk. So I like these guys. And he goes, comes back with, this is such a dominant response. He goes, well, let me put it this way. This is yours to lose. But that's not an answer to my question. Mm -hmm. Now, if I've asked, I'm going to get the answer. And I said, that's a great answer. I said, I love it, but it's not the answer to my question. And he goes, I go, let me put it another way. If we decide to work together, one of the first things I'll teach you is you can't lose something you never had. I go, so what are you telling me? And he goes, yes, I do want to work with you. I said, so all we need to do is agree what happens when we do it in the fee. He goes, pretty much. Well, that's easy. Now now there's no sales meeting. I'm just going to take an order. Why would I go through the whole process of selling when I can take it all? Now, this won't happen all the time, but it's when you get that feeling. So that's a question. Another question I love doing is let's pretend you harm me. Let's fast forward 12 months. What will be different, or what will it change as a result of you hiring me so that you can say the best thing we ever did last year was hiring Benjamin? Now, often you get, oh, it's a good question. And then they give you some blue sky, we're selling more. Now, I know they're going to, this is the wonderful thing about humans, they're very predictable. When you start asking questions, you start to figure out the responses you're going to get. So nothing ever surprises me. And you always get, well, we'd be selling more, we'll be in front of more people. And I know whatever they say first is not going to be the real thing. So I get to challenge it now. So before they even know it, I'm into what I'm doing. I go, well, no, that's a good answer. I go, but it's not the answer I'm looking for. See, I'm in control. This is the, but that's not the answer I'm looking for. They go, what do you mean? I go, sorry, my fault. Then I apologize. You know what? It's, my, it's a stupid question. Let me ask it a better way. And then I change it. And I go, so my question is this. Selling well, would you say, is the outcome of doing something well? Yes. So therefore, selling badly would be the outcome of doing something badly, correct? Yes, I can see where you're going. So what is it that you need to start doing that you're not doing, that if you did, you'd make more money? Or what is it you need to stop doing that you're doing that's costing you money? And that's when they go, and then they go something like, we're not in front of enough people. Now I get to, why? Why are you not in front of enough people? And now we're into this, and I just pull apart. And eventually they realize, oh, my goodness, I don't know half of why this is happening. I don't know what's going on. But you must, because you've asked all the questions that have made me realize I haven't even been asking these questions, and no one else is asking these questions. That's my job. And by doing that, I get rid of people that I can't work with quickly, because some people can figure it out. But I say, so you don't need me. And they go, no, no. I say, I've just saved you a lot of money. Yeah. But we still want to, okay, I'll do it on one caveat, that you're not going to learn a lot. No, it's fine. I st- blah, blah. So it doesn't mean you're not going to get the deal. But it's these questions that get people thinking. You've got to challenge senior people. Why would I give you a lot of money if I don't feel like you're challenging me? I could do this myself then. I need you to make me realize that I don't know what I'm doing because that's why I'm going to give you a lot of money. Because if you know how to do it, then I'm willing to pay you a lot of money because people at the top aren't cheap. If you have something I want and I know it's going to make me money, then I'll pay you what you believe you're worth. But I need to believe it. And it's all through questions. Tough questions. Uncomfortable questions.
0: Absolutely love it. You've shared so much value. Thank you so much. Ask permission to ask questions. Yes. Ask questions so that they discover the problem. Then they see you differently. You don't have to have all the answers. Don't be the smartest person in the room. It's just gold, Benjamin. Now there are going to be people listening that want to work with you. There's no doubt in my mind. (laughs) And if And if they don't, they should because it's game-changing and it's going to save them money and it's going to make them money. So what's the best way of contacting you? Who do you want to hear from? And what are the terms?
1: Well, my advice is watch my stuff on YouTube. And if it doesn't scare you off, you can reach out. I don't... (laughs) The world, again, is a different place. So I'm not what you'd call woke in the least. I don't use pronouns or anything like that. I've never undergone a single hour of diversity, inclusion, or equity training, and I hope to die with that record under my belt. So there are a lot of companies that will not hire me because I won't tick a certain box, and I don't care. That's what I put. I don't mind. There are enough people out there that say, I don't care that you're a bit brash, But I don't care that you're not politically correct. We just want to make more money. Those are the people I want to come after me, yeah? And so this is the other thing. I don't like working with companies unless they get their own people to pay towards their training. Why should you invest in them if they won't invest in themselves? Because it's very easy to get someone like me in and put me in a room full of hostages. Hostages don't learn. Yeah, they're just there because they've been told we've got sales training, go along to sales training. But if they genuinely don't think they need any help or can be any better, you're wasting your time. So that's another reason why I tell companies this up front. I go, go away and ask them, are they willing to pay? If they say no, don't get me in. You're wasting your money. I trained to be a barrister. I had to pay for that. And I had to spend years studying. I spent years trying to get good at what I teach here. And I spent all the money to get good at this. So I have no sympathy for these advertisers or salespeople on these basics of 45K plus commission a year who then have the temerity to expect their training to be free when virtually every other professional in life has had to stump up their own money and their own time to become a lawyer or a doctor or an accountant. No one else did it for them. If salespeople have the sense of entitlement that, well, it's my company's job to make me better. No, it's not. It's yours. And if you can't be asked, then I can't be asked. Simple. So YouTube, LinkedIn, website, obviously UK's most hated sales trainer, .com, obviously.
0: I'll put all the links in the show notes. Benjamin, this Sorry. has been absolutely delightful. It's so lovely to catch up with you again, and it's brilliant to see you so successful. So thank you so much for joining me.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. I hope I haven't scared off your audience base. No.
0: I hope you enjoyed my chat with Benjamin and please go and follow him on LinkedIn if you've enjoyed what he said today. His content is not only useful and practical, it's very different. To the usual stuff you see about sales. And finally, if you're listening to this at the end of 2023, I'm opening enrolments for my one-year Account Accelerator training and coaching program that starts on the 11th of January, 2024. It is specifically designed to give those responsible for account growth in the agency the entrepreneurial skills and mindset to support the growth of the client accounts and your agency. So if you're in account management at any level, or you have someone in your team, who you think this might be suitable for, then please either send me an email to jenny at accountmanagementskills.com or drop me a direct message on LinkedIn, Jenny Plant, and I'll give you all the details when they're available. So you can decide if it's a good fit. Now, places are limited for the January cohort. So if you've been thinking about investing in training for a while, this is really a good opportunity to raise your account management game. I will leave you with a soundbite from one of my participants, Kayla Lavassa. She's senior account exec at US-based agency Echo Delta, who shared the account growth results when she applied what she'd learned. Thanks for listening. And I look forward to speaking to you on the next one. We've won uh, at least one contract that I can recall off the top of my head is uh, almost a $200,000 video shoot um, from a client that was asking for something. And I said, hey, you know, this is the
1: way we've solved this in the past. Um, And then similarly with the same client, I said, hey, I've seen this problem a lot before. Here's the real issue. Here's what's really going on. And here's, you know. can can we help you solve this? Can we talk about, you know, some potential solves? And what I liked about that conversation was it wasn't a sales conversation. That kind of puts you in that trusted advisor space where I'm not always trying to sell you something, but it ended up being a, hey, we don't have the capacity to do this internally. Can you just put a proposal together for me? And it could be another half million dollars for this client that already spends
0: about that with us now.